X Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X-Talks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sarah Hand and Aisha Rashid. Thank you very much for joining. So I'm going to get us started with a story about the latest allergen that's been added to the FDA's list of major allergies, and that would be sesame. So recently, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration added sesame to its list of major allergens, which will make it easier for people with sesame allergies to safely consume packaged food without fear of an allergic reaction. So beginning this year in 2023, all food and dietary supplement manufacturers, they have to clearly list sesame as an ingredient on product labels. Now, the FDA's initial list of eight food allergens that cause the majority of serious food-related allergy allergic reactions, which include milk, eggs, fish, crustacean, shellfish, tree nuts, peanuts, wheat, and soybeans. This was established all the way back in 2004. And now sesame is going to become the ninth food to be added to this list, making this the first update in almost 20 years. So this requirement for sesame to be listed on food labels was first signed into law all the way back in April 2021, thanks to the Food Allergy Safety Treatment Education and Research Act, or FASTER Act. Now, the the labeling requirements dictate that, um, you know, you have to name, the name of the food has to be, uh, sorry, I'm going to start that sentence again. The new labeling requirements dictate that the name of the food source of a major allergen must appear either in parentheses following the name of the ingredient, such as, in quotes, natural flavor, and then in parentheses, sesame, or immediately next to the list of ingredients, such as, in quotes, contained sesame. Now, I spoke to someone for a previous interview, and he mentioned this, um, actually. I hadn't even brought it up, and, and he said, we're about to see a whole new book of regulations come into effect, with FDA labeling being one of the biggest ones. Um, this was from an interview with Bradley Sachs, and he's the president of Mainline Foods, who I interviewed last year. He continued, so probably the biggest change for us Um, on our packaging labels is we have to redo all of that and add sesame. The FDA stated that even though the requirement that sesame be listed on the label as an allergen is in effect, you still may find food products for sale that don't list sesame as an allergy on the label. The law establishing this sesame labeling does not require food products that were already on their way to the store or in stock before 2023 to list sesame as an allergen on the label. So essentially what they mean by this is that we may still see some um, foods with without sesame as an allergen, uh, just because they were produced um, and they don't want to get rid of food that was already produced. Now, during this transition period, consumers should note that food products on store shelves that were produced prior to January 1st, 2023, like I said, they're not going to be removed or relabeled. That would be wildly wasteful. And the agency reminded shoppers to always check labels on food products each time since labels and ingredients can change, even if it's a staple that they've been eating for for many years without an allergic reaction. 
So this is really um, important because identifying which foods contain sesame um, is a vital step in food safety and health care, as an estimated 0.2% of children and adults in the U.S. are allergic to sesame. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it's it's a big population in, in the States. So according to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, sesame allergies are actually increasing, in part because foods like sushi, hummus, and tahini sauce are more common in the Western diet compared to decades ago. Obviously, an allergic reaction to sesame can look different depending on the person and include varying symptoms like hives, welts, itching, coughing, difficulty breathing, vomiting, or diarrhea. And about 80% of people with a sesame allergy also have another food allergy, and close to one-third have had a severe allergic reaction and used emergency medication epinephrine, or an EpiPen. So the new sesame labeling requirements apply to packaged foods, but allergen labeling for foods that aren't packaged, like fresh bagels in a grocery bin, that might vary. So for consumers that do have sesame allergies, the FDA suggests asking employees for allergen information. And since sesame can be hidden in everyday snacks and meals, it's recommended to ask plenty of questions about ingredients and food preparation in order to stay safe. So I just threw a lot of information at you um, about sesame allergies, how many people have it. um, And I just, you know, um, I wanted to get your your thoughts on this. Since since this list hadn't been updated in almost 20 years, I thought this was major news. um, And since I've been writing about food, I always I'm sort of programmed to know, oh, yeah, there's there's eight major allergies. Well, now there's a ninth one. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just wondering, like, do you think that this should have happened sooner? Um, or do you think it's it's happening now more because we're seeing more sesame allergies than we used to? Yeah, I think it's probably the latter. Um, I think prior to this, maybe uh, sesame was not a big ingredient in a lot of foods and a lot of people weren't exposed to it. Um, like you said, you know, products and uh, foods like tahini and other um foods made with uh, sesame weren't very popular back, let's say, 10, 20 years ago. But like you mentioned, um, because they've become more popular and more people are having them and are exposed to them. So I think that's why um, we're seeing a lot more sesame allergies. And so that uh, spurred the need to to make these changes. So it's interesting to see um, how once new foods are introduced into sort of the market and and to people and to consumers, um, how that can spur changes. But yeah, very interesting and very important. I didn't know so many people. I mean, it's 0.2%. It seems like a small number, but it's, it's still like, you know, um, a number. So I think, yeah. And, and, and it seems that like a lot of people do have this issue. So enough for, um, this, uh, to be added to the, to the list of the allergens. So, yeah. Yeah, it made me sort of start thinking about, and I could look into this further, but what those qualifications are in order to be added to mm. this list. Like how many people have to have, have this to allergy have or like right. how severe are the reactions or, mm. yeah, because with, with many allergies that are, I guess, 
less common. The onus is is so much so on the consumer um, to mm, know, yeah. you know, whether they should beware of a product or not. Um, so I guess sesame was deemed a common enough or severe enough allergy um, to be added to, you know, the FDA's list. And it also made me wonder about um, allergy notifications in, in restaurants and, and other settings. That's um, so true, yeah. Mm-hmm, especially because like foods that uh, a lot of, we go, we go eat sushi, we have, you know, it's, it's, it's very common. And I wonder if, 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 yeah, if something is going to shift there as well, if they need to blatantly state that on a menu. Um, Cause even though to us, it might be common knowledge, you know, it's, it's still important uh, just for the reputation of the restaurant and people's safety. So I'm not sure if, if things will change there too. Yeah, I think this is really interesting that uh, that the FDA is requiring this now, as you say, Sydney, considering uh, the other allergens that had to be labeled before. Um, and I was thinking about uh, the point you made about how any packaged foods that may contain sesame, you know, aren't going to be pulled from shelves right now and relabeled. Uh, and of course, that, that makes sense. Um but I was thinking about how uh, it's okay. I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about how large of a job that is for food manufacturers who you know have their labels in place now to have to add that, and of course it's it's for a good reason, um, as as well as the extra role of the FDA now to uh, not only monitor these other allergens in foods, but also sesame, because um, the FDA often sends out, uh, you know, warnings due to undeclared allergens and, and recalls. Um, and it got me also thinking about how long the longest shelf life would be on a packaged food that ca- contains sesame right now, you know? So like, how long would, um, I don't know, like a package of crackers that contain sesame be on the shelf, uh, maybe be unsold before that's replaced with like the new package of crackers that has the new labeling and the declared Mm. sesame. And so like, I guess how long are consumers who are you know, looking out for this label and need to because they they have an allergy. Um, how long will they need to continue to stay, I guess, as vigilant as they are? I mean, maybe the answer is forever because when you think about a food allergy, you're you're always going to be careful. You're not necessarily going to trust what's what's on a label. But yeah, what do you guys think of that? That's such a great point. It, it's true. Like, pa- like labels are not the be all end all for people with allergies who are constantly vigilant anyway. Plus, with foods that aren't even packaged, like bagels from a bakery um, or mm-hmm. or at a restaurant, like mm-hmm. you are going to need to ask or use your best judgment anyway. So you're totally right too about how um, companies like from large to small are going to need to um, change their uh, their their labeling and and how they've been doing things for for a long time uh, and they've known about this for for a long time too mm-hmm. and what I was what I was gonna say is that like we have this knowledge because this is something that I I covered but I I wonder like you know general consumers like are they even gonna know about this or, or notice this like it's it's kind of just something that people with allergies may be aware of and 
us as you know food industry insiders may be aware of too but there's it's so hard to like disseminate this this information to everybody and i yeah it, it may go unnoticed um in in the general consumer's life truly mm-hmm. you know i have seen sesame being um pointed out on some food packages i don't know if that's a thing in canada but um i don't know if you guys have seen it i've seen that's it like true. contain sesame I have yeah. seen that. Um, I've also, you uh, know what, I've seen it on products too that um, we'll say like may contain mm, like things mm-hmm. like yeah. peanuts, tree nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm wondering if they're just covering themselves in a broad way to say this is made in the same facility as mm-hmm. other products, let's say. So maybe this product doesn't contain it in its list of ingredients, but it certainly could come in contact with, you know, equipment or machinery that has also come in contact with the, these allergens. Yeah, I'm just um, looking, but, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I just got so excited there. Sorry, finish your thoughts there. No, I was going to say, that. but that's a really good point. It could even be a difference uh, in terms of the Canadian regulations uh, or imported products, or it could just be manufacturers kind of like getting ahead of just putting that claim on there, that broad claim to, to cover themselves and, you know, protect those with allergens. Yeah, so I'm just looking at foodallergycanada.ca and um, they list sesame as a priority allergen by Health Canada. So, mm. yeah, so I think um, the FDA is a bit behind. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess up to this point, at least in, in America, if there were um, sesame labeling mm. like allergy warnings, it was probably voluntary. And now the only mm. difference is that now it's it's mandatory. Mm-hmm. Um, now they, they, they need to because uh, they're liable uh, t- to say yeah. it. Uh, but yeah, maybe in Canada we have been, uh, maybe there's, you know, we we're just ahead of the curve with these things, um, which which is cool. Uh, or maybe like, have you seen it on um, mass produced? I'm not. This is such a specific question. I'm just wondering if like smaller I, companies were like think, doing it as opposed to larger. I think I have. Like, it just seems to me like I've seen it a lot. Um, maybe more so recently, but I've seen it. Yeah. So, hmm. um, even on mass produced stuff, I can say probably, yeah. So I'm, I'm used to seeing it basically. So, um, that's why I'm kind of surprised at that it's coming out now in the U S but interesting. you know, it, it makes me wonder about at what point would it be easier for a food manufacturer to just remove a oh. sesame ingredient from its product, um, as opposed to having to to put this on the label. I mean, I, I guess the initial um, uh, the initial energy put into changing the labels and, and everything that goes along with that. I mean, once that's done, that's done. Um, but I wonder like if a manufacturer is using sesame oil and it's like way the heck down on the list of in- ingredients, like close to the end, so there's not much in there, you know, would they consider if it's not gonna change the taste or the texture or other qualities of the food? Uh, would they just consider changing to a um, uh, less or non-allergenic oil, let's say, uh, or if they just down. had like a sprinkling of sesame seeds in something, mm-hmm. and then they're like, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really need it's not these. Worth it, yeah. I yeah, I don't know, just to reach a larger consumer base. If if the yeah. um, people, the number of people with allergies is kind of on the rise, mm-hmm. just as we've seen, I think other products. Um, you know, particularly those marketed towards kids, like granola bars, I, I think 
even candy bar manufacturers have re really put a push in the last few years on um, creating some in like peanut free facilities because they want yeah. it to be something that can be purchased by parents and given to their kids that have allergies. Uh, so I wonder if we'll start to see, you know, less use of sesame ingredients in products that don't completely rely on it, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean, I in the past, I've written about several companies that are like allergy friendly. Um, and even though it wasn't, um, it wasn't FDA mandatory to list sesame as a major allergen back then, a lot of these companies that specialize in, in allergy friendly products excluded sesame anyway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's already like a, a well-known um, allergen um, you know, even here in Canada too, that we've already been listing it as an allergen. So yeah, I think, I think this is just sort of a, it's been made official by the FDA. Um, and that that's a good point. Maybe we will see companies um, shying away from, from using sesame oil or sesame seeds yeah. in, in their products uh, just to accommodate more consumers um, or at the very least, you know, now they have to put it as an allergen. Avoid so mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Well, moving on to something um, not as appealing as sesame, in my opinion, um, but the EU, the European Union, recently approved the use of Archetta domesticus, which is more commonly known as the house cricket in European consumers' food. So the newly approved regulation will allow food producers to introduce the partially defatted dry powder of the house cricket into the EU food market. So EU food makers can now use house cricket powder in the production of several foods. I'm about to list off so many, including pizza and pasta based mm -hmm. products, nuts and oil seeds, snacks and sauces, meat preparations and soups, multi-grain bread and rolls, crackers and breadsticks, cereal bars, dry premixes for baked products, biscuits, processed potato products, legume and vegetable based dishes, whey powder, maize flour based snacks, beer like beverages and chocolate confectionery goods um i don't really think they missed any food group there at all so basically yeah, the they could start beverages really sticks out there I've got a question. Guys, what is a beer like yeah, beverage? beer non-alcoholic oh yeah that's true it could be yeah, yeah. You're, you're totally with right powder for some reason like Anyways, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> extra source of protein, I suppose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so this approval came after a scientific opinion expressed by the European Food Safety Authority, or EFSA, which verified and approved the safety of the new powder. Now, the agency also approved the powder production process, which includes a 24-hour fasting period for the insects before they're frozen, washed, thermally processed, have their oil extracted, and finally transformed into dried-up powder. Now, house crickets aren't the only insect to gain approval in the EU. Earlier this month, the EU Commission also approved the introduction of the frozen paste dried and powdered forms of the Alphatobius diperinus larvae, which is also known as uh, the lesser mealworm uh, to the consumer food market. The insect's larvae have also been found safe by the EFSA and in approved forms are now allowed as ingredients in several food products and supplements. 
Food containing house crickets or lesser mealworm products will require appropriate labels uh, since some researchers believe that these insects could cause allergic reactions in consumers allergic to crustaceans, dust mites, and mollusks. Mm. See, it's it's all tied back. It's it's all uh, related <laughs> to allergies this episode. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that soon because I want to hear your thoughts on that. So the two insect preparations will join the list of EU-approved insect foods, um, including um, a specific form of mealworm and the the dried powder of the migratory locust, and its regulations will take effect at the end of this month. Aside from these approvals, eight other applications for insect foods have been presented to the EU and are currently under evaluation. Now, as dietary habits are rapidly changing and the willingness of consumers to try new protein-rich products is increasing, edible insects are gaining more interest among European consumers, although increasing the Western appetite for insects might still be a challenge. International consumer acceptance would likely be driven by a change in socio-cultural aspects, product demand, accessibility, and sustainability. Connected to the theme of sustainability, insects can contribute to reducing the burden of food waste, being fed uh, with underused agri-food byproducts like vegetables, fruit, and starch products, or food no longer fit for human consumption. Because the vertical farming techniques imp- because of the vertical farming techniques implemented, insect farming requires less arable land, and insect farmers use crates aligned vertically to rear their insects. And despite the growing number of vegetarians and vegans and a shift to plant-based or lab-grown meat, these solutions may not be practical for every country. At the same time, global demand for meat is still accelerating, so it is critically important to develop more efficient ways to produce those animals that consumers are consistently demanding. So, um... You know, as a source of protein, um, over the last few years, it's it's become a little bit more popular, um, you know, whether it's like a cricket powder or insect powder. Um, and in, in many countries, it is consumed as, as, as a snack on its own. Um, but I think, yeah, like I mentioned, getting people um, in, in, in North America even to just be comfortable with the fact that they're consuming crickets uh, will be a little bit more difficult and, and might take some time. Um, but back to this um, back to this potential allergic reaction, um, I, I thought that was so interesting just because uh, this is kind of like a, a new food product um, and it needs to go through this uh, th- you know this this testing as well. Um, would you have thought uh, would you have thought anything of it? Well, I um I don't think I would have immediately made that connection, but as soon as you said it, uh it made sense to me. So you said um people with a shellfish allergy might also be have an allergy to uh to these insects and I would think it's because of the um chitin chitinous exoskeleton that insects have mm-hmm. that um that shellfish have as well and so I can see that being something that we don't know a lot about, but it's good that, that somebody's thinking ahead there. And as you say, obviously these products will have to be, um, labeled pretty, pretty heavily. Uh, yeah. I, I, another thing I thought that was interesting that you said was, um, the crickets are defatted before they're made into a powder. Do you know the significance of the defatting? Are they otherwise high in fat or would it maybe not allow for it to turn into a powder if they had too much of that fat retained? 
That's a very good question. Um, I I think I think just based off of 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 the the process, it's it's kind of a necessity rather than a, a dietary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I yeah, because I'm not too sure how fatty they would actually be if if they weren't defatted. Mm-hmm. But um, since they also have to go through that um, 24 hour fasting period, I I feel like uh, the defatting is is more for the purpose of sort of um, like. N- Getting getting the insect down to like its its bare bones sort of thing and like just being just consuming like the the best parts of it. But mm-hmm. don't take my word on that. That's just me speculating. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't I didn't find anywhere uh, why they're defatted. Um, but yeah, it likely has to do with the with the process and being able to turn it into a powder. Because if it wasn't defatted, they they might have have some issues there. Right. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it also impacts taste and overall liking sensory properties of foods. Uh, it's also easier to incorporate into foods as well, as I'm reading here. So, mm. yeah, and um, just general process of, uh, um, yeah, improving the nutritional value as well. So, yeah, there yeah. is definitely reason in terms of um, why that's done. I wonder if it helps with shelf life as well, because, um, mm. you know, foods like nuts and seeds that are high in fat do go off, like they go rancid. And so yeah. even if you like powderize yeah. something, um, it could definitely go off. So maybe by defatting it, it, it extends the shelf life as mm-hmm. well. That's a very yeah. good point. Yeah. yeah. Now, I was thinking, you know, I, I rattled off, off such a long list of foods and beverage beer like beverage um (laughs) now what would be your willingness to try um foods that contained um powdered house cricket um oh boy (sighs) if like let's say if you couldn't really taste it or if it didn't make a difference would you be willing to uh to try that and regularly have a product that can that had it yeah yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> as long as, you know, let's say the the product doesn't have like the image that you've used here, Sydney, in your article. <laughs> Apologies for that. But there's nothing Viewer more appealing. I tried, to, I tried to find something more appealing. I, there, there's white space Crickets around it. <laughs> you know what? I feel more um, open to having cricket-based products, especially if it's like in a powder. You can yeah. put anything in a powder, and I feel like I wouldn't have a problem with it because you yeah. don't even really know it's there. Um, but the idea of you were talking about the mealworms, which were also considered, you know, mm-hmm. safe to eat by the mm-hmm. European Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something a little bit more, a little bit less, I should say, appetizing maybe about that. But again, if they're in like some sort of powdered form, you know, they're non-distinguishable. Powder, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm like down to try it. Now, if it was going to be like the whole thing, yeah, um, I think that's a bit more of a leap. But I can mm-hmm. see that manufacturers are trying to get in in the most palatable way mm-hmm. um, for European consumers, which would be to just make it into something that does not resemble an insect that can be added to other foods. Mm-hmm. And, well, and the, Sorry, go ahead. Well, speaking of, of palatable, um, I, I briefly said, like mentioned um, supplements um, because you know, we don't, at least in my opinion, I don't think any of us get really enough protein, at least on a daily basis. I don't think we get enough protein. And maybe down the line, um, there'll be supplements uh, with with ground up cricket powder in them or something similar to like fish oil pills. Like Mm -hmm. no one really is eating or wants to 
drank fish oil, but in a pill supplement format, so much more palatable and so much Mm -hmm. easier. So this, I feel like this like insect market has a, has a really big potential in this supplement, um, pill category as well, um, to help people who don't get enough of those nutrients. Yeah, I agree um, on that front. But um, now I'm thinking about like vegetarians and vegans, like how mm-hmm. is this going to impact them? Yeah. Because a lot of the foods that you listed here, I mean, it's like, you know, breads and rolls and do these, I don't think these typically have meat-based products in them um crackers cereal bars like this is a lot of like you know everyday routine stuff that vegetarians and vegans can have now if you have this added component of the cricket powder that's going to you know maybe exclude them or will exclude them so that's going to be interesting as well to see um how manufacturers and food companies are going to handle that and if you know I guess they'll have to do a market analysis and to see if that's going to be worth doing. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's going to come down to, and we we talked about this on on the last episode, like why people are vegan Mm -hmm. or vegetarian, Mm -hmm. right? Because if it's, if it's purely for, um, you know, avoiding meat and dairy for, for health reasons, um, then yeah, they probably may not be willing to have any cricket, um, or insect based foods, but if it's more of the sustainability reason, then might, they might be because, because insects and, and, and crickets and whatnot are, are being touted more as a sustainable source of protein, um, and they can help eliminate food waste and and there's there's many talking points there about um about this and how it relates to sustainability so yeah it'll probably come down to like personal willingness Mm -hmm. to like include it in someone's diet um vegan vegetarian or otherwise i think Mm -hmm. just because it's still so new to us and and the novelty aspect there yeah yeah it's going to take you know probably um, the acceptance, especially in a, in like North America, I think in Europe, I, they've already sort of started introducing this, but mm-hmm. I think in North America, it's, it's extremely novel still. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I think one problem as well is that this is going to be expensive to start with. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned a few years ago, uh, I saw, you know, in a local grocery store, even here in Canada, um, cricket powder or cricket flour, I think they were calling it. Uh, and it was like for a little bag, you know, maybe like 500 grams or something like that. It was like $15. And, Mm, you know, you compare that on the shelf to other flowers, it's obviously going to be more expensive. Um, probably not only because of the novelty, but because of the, um, the processes that are in place right now to, I guess, rear the crickets. So in theory, it should be a more sustainable and honestly cheaper form of protein than something like, um, you know, other meats, cattle and, and chickens and things like that. But like anything else that we see, especially in the food space, there's there's sort of like a, a period where it's new, um, it's novel, it, it's expensive, and then they have to see if, if consumers really latch on. And um, then I think maybe as demand grows, if it grows, it'll, the cost maybe will come down as it's added, let's say, to more products. And uh, it also got me thinking about this idea of bioaccumulation. So you said, Sydney, how they are like fasted for 24 hours before they're processed. And I was thinking about, you know, um, the diet of the crickets and then we're eating the crickets. You know, I wonder if there's going to be a market for in the future, like 
quote unquote organic crickets that are only fed, you know, organic produce or something. Because people now, even if you're not vegetarian or vegan or looking for an alternative um, protein source, some people will only eat, you know, grass-fed beef as opposed to grain-fed. And uh, I think, like you said, it comes back down to your values and like why you're choosing to eat the way you do and how you're choosing to spend your your food dollars. Mm Uh, but I can foresee a future in which maybe there's multiple categories of crickets <laughs> that you can buy. Um, Organic versus not. Yeah. 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 At the end of the day, this this is just a huge experiment that will that will last over you know decades probably. Um, just like uh, you know, because there's so there's very few like new foods in our lifetime that that we haven't already had. Um, and I think this this may or may not be one of them, d- depending on whether or not we're we're willing to try it. Um, the the you know we could compare it to plant based meat products in that they've taken taken decades uh, for for it to gain as much popularity and scalability as it as it has today mm-hmm. so I look at at the cricket market in like a similar way it's it's a huge experiment um, but we're really at the at the start right now which is just it being approved as safe to eat and that's only in the EU so yeah. this yeah will I will definitely keep my eye out you know in in years to come uh, to see whether it's on our shelves here in Canada um, and what the what the what the perception is going forward all right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.